Miller. On this week's episode, we host Jimmy Simpson, truly one of the most incredible people in this industry. Um, and we had, I mean, this is one of the best episodes we've ever had. And it truly was an awesome conversation about so many different areas of the industry and his career and the people that were a part of everything that he's uh, accomplished in it. And I, I always will remember uh, back in Savannah at the SFMA of how excited my kids were to meet him and how, you know, just extremely kind he was to them. And I will never forget that. And truly those kids uh, had an experience that really changed their outlook on this industry and what they are able to accomplish now. Uh, a couple of them being in turf programs in college now. So um, this episode, again, is awesome and a lot of great content uh, discussing different things like artificial turf, as you all know and love. <laughs> and uh, truly just his incredible crew and how he's grown in his role and how his job has expanded to more and more things and now to the point where he is so far beyond sports fields to being in charge of so many different aspects of the town of Cary. And one of my favorite parts about the episode was we really dove into what it takes to build a community, you know, not just in the sports field industry, but like in the community of Cary and how his time there, he's been able to create such a great connection with the people of Cary and have them understand who we are as sports field managers and his team and what they're doing uh, to ensure the best playing surface for them and then obviously so many different things like being the home of usa baseball and having ncaa championships acc championships things that uh you really don't see in many townships in different areas like it's just so awesome to be able to talk about all these different things uh so jimmy i can't thank you enough for everything that you've done uh for this industry and especially for my kids and it was just great to be able to talk to you uh, look forward to seeing you, Utah, man. Uh, and I hope you guys enjoy this episode of Tiger Turf Talk. Uh, good morning uh, for the 99th episode of Tiger Turf Talk. I'm your host, Drew Miller, with your co-host for the day, Dakota Garber. Uh, today we have on an extremely special guest uh, and one of our students' favorite uh, sports field managers. Uh, we have Mr. Jimmy Simpson, CSFM, uh, Town of Cary Assistant Public Works Director and the home of USA Baseball. How are you doing this morning, Jimmy? I'm doing great. Thank you for that intro. I don't know about extremely special, you know? <laughs> well, I mean, you made a great connection with my kids last year at SFMA. Uh, they, they always were talking about you when we came back and everything and there weren't that many people they talked about. So I can't thank you enough for making that connection with them again in such a short period of time. Uh, so, yeah, it was a great time. Well, I can say this. They energized me more than I gave them. I can promise you that. Oh, I'm glad. I'm glad that's that's what happened. <laughs> yes, they, they drag me down sometimes but <laughs> in the best way possible, you know. Sure, sure. Um, so I sort of want to start off with that. Obviously, uh, you're past president of SFMA and it's such a big part of our industry and you've been such a big advocate for so many certified sports field managers all the way down to the ones that are just getting started as students. Uh, what has it been like for you to sort of have that work in your career again, to be able to advocate for this incredible industry and specifically the association? Uh, my time in the association is something that it, I will cherish forever um, because we got to connect with so many people. My, my presidential year was interesting through COVID because it was it was one of those years where it was not a normal year. 
which if you go back and look at the magazine cover from, from when I was able to, to, to be on there, you know, my, my whole thing was a different perspective. And, and I think COVID made us all look at things with a different perspective, look at our families, look at our lives, look at the, the weekends, right? Sports field managers don't really know what weekends are. Or we didn't, <laughs> but we, we do now. So, so COVID gave us a lot of that, but, uh, being able to advocate for the industry, uh, natural grass is a passion of mine. I was a turf grass student from North Carolina state and, you know, absolutely love it. Love the school, love, love the science behind it. Um, but the, the beautiful thing to be able to advocate is all the people that I got to meet, uh, your students included that, that make this industry special. And it's that special industry is what has kept me going and wanting to advocate for it because, you can't just pick up the phone and call anybody anytime, but in this industry, you can. Absolutely. And I couldn't agree with you more that really this industry is made by the people that are in it. You know, people like you, again, advocating for my kids. I believe you offered him a job, a couple of kids jobs, like different things like that. Like you don't have that in any other industry. And it's just, it's awesome to hear the stories. I met Jake for the first time down at Little League World Series. Uh, I think he works for you, correct? Am I wrong saying that? He does work with us. So yes. like, meeting people who work for people that you know and just understanding like how incredible it is to have that opportunity and i mean you have a crew down there that's one of the best probably in this industry when it comes to the standpoint of people who have had incredible careers to the point where they're at now in carry um it's just there's nothing else like it you know and i could be wrong for those that are in other industries that again maybe they have a great uh, camaraderie, but I really have not seen anything like it. And that's why I love it as well. Um, and that's what I love about doing like this podcast and everything is be able to talk to people and talk about their experiences with everything that goes into it. Um, now sort of to go along with that, um, obviously our students were students at the time, but what has it been like sort of developing that next generation, uh, whether it's your work in carry and your growth there or uh, past jobs or even just working in the association, obviously there's so much that goes into the feeding into the next generation of sports field managers. What has that been like? That's been something that's been a passion of mine is how do we create an educational system that helps support the industry? Um, and I don't necessarily think that education has to be school education. It can be hands-on education. It can be uh, trade education, right? And that's where I think the SFMA can fit in in the future is is to figure out that gap because there's so many people who don't necessarily want to spend $100,000 to go to college for four years to come out making 50. And they'll be paying that student loan off for the rest of their life. Our, our industry has enough smart people in it that we should be able to figure out a way to educate folks where they are and give them what they need to be successful. And so that's where I'm hoping that we can head with education in the future. And, and I think it's something that we have to do. Um, you know, when I was on the stage in West Palm Beach giving my speech, I talked about the race for relevance. And, and if you haven't read that book, it's, it's a great book because it talks about making sure that we're preparing ourselves for the future to be relevant. And I think that's essential for the educational industry from the, from the turf grass schools. All of them in the college four-year, two-year programs are declining. Right. I mean, that that's that's a given. I think it's important. Uh, and that's why I really love what you all do there is is you're 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 bridging that gap. You're, you're creating the thing that that's not inside the box of usual, which is awesome. So I think that's something that's extremely important to advocate for and to and to build for the future is the educational piece, because if we don't, we're not going to have people to backfill our jobs. 
uh, synthetic turf is going to continue to take over um, because we are scientists, right? We've, we've got to do that. Let's go into that can of worms because it's very prevalent right now when it comes to, I mean, college and professional athletes are all coming out out of the woodwork like, hey, we've got a problem. This is not safe for us, obviously. And when it comes to artificial turf versus natural grass, and here's my biggest thing. And I, this is what scares me the most about artificial. And again, obviously there, there are places for it. And obviously it's definitely of use to certain spaces and everyone in the industry knows that. Um, but like at the highest level, like when you talk about money wise, how much it costs versus natural grass and Truly, when you look at it, natural grass still probably is less expensive, even with all of the six renovations in one year. You're still looking at less cost. But the fact that people like Nick Pappas in Atlanta and uh, other professional stadiums, I think Minnesota was one, they're replacing it every two years. No one in the outside of our industry who is putting uh, synthetic turf at high schools. That's my biggest concern is the high schools. They're told, Hey, you don't have to do anything to it. There's no maintenance and you get eight years out of it, by the way, don't worry about it for eight years. When again, how many games are actually played on a, a NFL field, how many hours of play and they're replacing it every two years. If that doesn't scare parents, like, the fact that NFL to their standard, you need to replace it every two years. That's insane to me. So far, just replace it. They've been open for two years. Like I, it has been sort of more and more of a scare for me personally, when it comes to kids and everything that goes into it, what is it that you sort of seen recently? Again, there are so many like Chicago people are yelling about the uh, Tahoma 31 going in and like, this isn't going to take where it's not going to be safe, blah, 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 blah. And like time and time again, we prove every single time that solid scientific base facts are going to trump the injuries and all the things that have been around in again, the NFL specifically this year, what has it been like for you sort of seeing all this and what's your take on it? So I can be a little freer with my answer now that I'm away from the, uh, the board of directors piece. Right. So, <laughs> uh, and I w- I'll go down that road a little bit more than I would in the past. You know, this came up back during COVID actually, uh, the NFL first started having that with, um, JC Treader, I believe it's Treader yes. came out as the president of the players association. I was on multiple radio shows, uh, call in shows about what is SFMA and what do you do and what do your members do? And can we make natural grass happen in an NFL setting? And, you know, ultimately our goal as sports field managers is to provide a safe surface, right? Whatever that surface is, we're going to provide as much effort work that we can to provide the best surface possible. We all saw Chicago a couple of weeks ago where it was completely underwater, right? Well, it was underwater because the water can't get through the thick, root layer that's created in the plastic sod the field was perfect if you looked at it there was no slipping there was there was no tears there was the the grass was fantastic it did exactly what it was supposed to do unfortunately they just got more rain than they could handle during the game in that scenario but but still it was safe and i think that's the key is we got to look at safety we got to figure out what is the safest option if you can eliminate one 
injury because it's on natural grass, should we? Right. And I leave that kind of as a, as an open, as an open piece, but I think synthetic has its place. It definitely does. If you're landlocked and you've got one field and you're a high school that has 12 sports, I, I would rather see a synthetic field in there with 12 sports getting to play on that one field than a natural grass and nobody getting to play one team. Right. So expanding opportunities for, for athletes. But if you look at the professional level in the NFL, to me, there's no reason there can't be natural grass every single weekend for those teams. <clears throat> we have the technology. We have the expertise, um, even at the college level. You look at Casey Carrick over at uh, UNC Chapel Hill no, before, before, before um, uh, Mac Brown came back, right? I mean, they, they did it. They, they did it. They practiced on their game field all week long. They put in a new grass field when they needed to, and they ended up doing it for half the cost of what they thought before because Casey and his team were so on point that they did a spectacular job. And, you know, it's one of those things that I think Mac just brought with him from Texas. And he had one in Texas, which to me made no sense. You're in Texas. <laughs> you know? yeah, I hear <clears throat> and, and it's, it doesn't make sense. A lot of times these decisions are never made by the sports field manager. And I think that's where as an industry, we have to develop ourselves and we have to understand that we have to be in the conversation if, if we want to be a part of it. And I think for so long in the industry, we were always, no, 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 don't use the grass, don't use the grass, it's wet, don't use it. I think we have to change our paradigm to where we are like, yes, let's use it. Let's see how many hours we can get on that grass field. We have to go, you know, the U.S. Open, let's, let's look at the golf world. The U.S. Open, when it was in Pinehurst a few years back, basically turned the water off to it. And it looked more like the, it looked more like the, uh, the open and, and, you know, on the other side of the shore than it did here. Brown is okay. A little bit of dirt is okay. You know, I would rather have a little bit of dirt on the field than a, an eight year old synthetic turf field with no fibers or no rubber left. That's, you know, you drop the clegg on it and it's, it's so compacted that you've got a concussion risk every time you hit the ground. You know, even if, if there's dirt on the field, we can at least control how hard and how soft that dirt is based on the moisture content, the aeration and everything that we can do. We can use our tools to, to make that feel better. So long and short, I'm obviously a natural grass fan. I think there, yeah. there's a place for synthetic, um, but there's so much more we can do with natural grass than we are today. And I, I would love to see the NFL start that, because if you look at the trends, in my opinion, of how things filter down. The rules yep. go from the NFL to college, college to high school, high school to peewee. Right. Every and single time. Like how long did the NFL wear those little bubbles on their helmet, mm -hmm. right? For concussion stuff before college started wearing it. And now you know, it's high schools even. Now it's filtering down even farther. So if we can start that conversation at the NFL level, then that conversation will filter down even farther. I mean, you hit the nail on the head with that one. And that's, that's something that I've, I've tried to be an advocate for and, to get like even our county to understand like so we're getting a synthetic practice field which was originally supposed to be on our game field which thank god because i probably wouldn't have stayed um if they had just said you know it's screw you we're doing it um the the fact that like you're putting and, and here's my other thing is the price of those synthetic fields are going up through the roof we're like approaching two million just for one and it's like Grass really hasn't, it's like cost wise, gone that far up. Obviously, fertilizers and things like that price has varied. But when you talk about $2 million and how you could sort of 
divvy that amongst say instead of just your game field or the one field you're doing on on all of your fields like there's a huge difference you know um and i think people don't quite comprehend how much that dollar can be stretched for again people like you who are certified sports field managers who really know what to do to ensure that safety like you're talking about the moisture management aeration all these things that when you look at a face value can be money saving things because you have the equipment already, you have the skill set to make sure and ensure the safety of the player on the fields that maybe aren't the best, you know? Uh, I've seen so many fields where like people are like, Oh, this is not safe. Like I'm like, but if you look at it and you actually do these few things, again, I just sort of prescribe something to middle schools. Like, Hey, do this, this, and this, you're going to see a big difference. I come back the next year and it looks incredible. Like, if we can get people to understand that little things like that happen and if the NFL and I don't I don't know how I think the biggest thing and again I'm going all over the place here uh and I want to ask you this is how do you think we get a seat at the table is sort of my my thought process because I I always bring this up and I always use Travis as the excuse because of Patrick Mahomes getting half a billion dollars you know like Half a billion dollars is not something to just like <laughs> sniff at, you know? Um, and if you have that kind of money to just throw to one person, you have enough money to put forth for whatever Travis needs. And again, he probably doesn't use as much as we all think that he could use, you know, when it comes to managing his field. But he's the first line of defense. He's the first a chronic turf toe player that he keeps on the field no matter what because of how well he keeps it. And I saw it the other day. I was like, you're crazy how amazing that field looks in week like 10. Like, what are we talking about? Like people need to take note, but how does Travis get sort of a seat at the table with the owners? Cause I think that's where everything sits, you know, when it comes to like concerts and all these different things, like how do we get them to understand that you're making all this money off of these events and none of that is finding its way back towards whether it's the groundskeepers pay or the budget or whatever it is, it's not coming back. The expectation keeps going up and up and up. And prime example, minor league baseball, all these minor league groundskeepers are getting all of these standards set and they have no money to get these standards, but now they're required. So the front office is having to uh, cough up money for infield renovations, things like that, that should have been done a decade ago, but are doing it now. How do we get people like you again being the president and all the, the background that you have at the table to help make these decisions and actually get them to sort of listen to what you guys again certified sports field managers there is it's a very strenuous process and so much time and effort that goes into it that you guys are so knowledgeable and people just kind of say yeah i don't care when it comes to like people outside of our industry what do you think sort of the next steps could be to get say like a, a a professor at the table with Treader and say, Treader, this is what you can do. Like, where do you think that step is and how do you think that's possible? Sorry, if that's a weird question. No, no, it's a, it's a good question. It's something I've thought about a lot and it's something that we've tried to do for a while. And what I would say is we're trying to turn the Titanic. So there's a few quick wins. There's some low-hanging fruit, but it's a very high ask. We are a very small industry. When you look industry-wide, right, mm-hmm. we're very, like of all the For industries sure. in the world, we're a very small industry. We have a marketing problem of ourselves. Um, I don't think we've marketed ourselves very well over the years. And, you know, to be the expert, you have to, you have to do it. 
you have to say it. You have to believe it. Your your industry members have to believe it as well. And you have to be able to produce when those opportunities come. What I think we need to do in the future as we continue to move forward is to position ourselves with parents. Um, I'll go back to Bobby Campbell years ago. Love Bobby. Uh, and I probably wouldn't be where I am today without him. You know, he, he always had this vision that the uh, old STMA, now SFMA, is in Good Housekeeping magazine sitting on parents' coffee tables, right? Mm. Sitting right there for people to pick up and read and see who we are. And, and it really resonates with me more today than it did then even that we have to reach the parents. The parents are the ones that are going to make the difference because when you talk about a seat at the table, there's a bunch of different factors that come into play. First and foremost, you can build a synthetic field with bond money, right? So all these school systems can go out and they can do bonds and all this stuff to build a synthetic field because it becomes a capitalized item. Yep. You can't operate off of bond money and maintain a natural grass field with bond money. You have to use your operating money, which mm -hmm. comes from revenues, tax revenues, and so forth. So just that distinction right there is a huge hurdle that we have to jump. Um, the piece that I think is completely understated in synthetics is the environmental piece. There's still no recycling that I know of, and there may be. Uh, there is now one in California for what I've been told. Sorry. So, so there's one, one possible recycling place for all these billions of pounds of synthetic turf that are coming off of these fields every year. And <clears throat> I, I just think it, I tell Casey Reynolds with TPI this all the time. Uh, if you can't have a straw in your drink in California, <laughs> how can you have a fur? How can you that. ever have a plastic field with a billion plus straws on it all over the place in California? It just it that just needs doesn't. To be on a T-shirt somewhere. I, I wanted an ad campaign around that. Yeah, right? you have these synthetic turf fields with just plastic straws with a little red stripe on them all over the place. Yeah, because that's what it is. And, and I get it. And, and the thing I use here a lot is, is I equate it to carpet in your house. The carpet in your house has wear areas. You have areas that are underneath your bed that never see traffic that look like the day you put it in. And then mm -hmm. right at your doorway, it's worn out. It's the same thing going to synthetic field, right? So yeah, for me, we have a, a lot of things to do. We have to make the connection between who we are and who we want to be. Mm -hmm. We have to believe it ourselves. And we have to own it and we have to, we have to live it as an industry. We can't just say we want to be the experts and expect it to happen. We have to position ourselves in those conversations. We have to nose our way in, say, hey, we're the experts here. We can help you. Um, look at John Sorokin with the World Cup yeah. and all of the, the spectacular experts that we have that are involved with the World Cup. They're going to have natural grass in all those venues that all these owners in the NFL aren't doing right now. Yeah. And I don't know what that decision is or why those decisions are made at that level. Um, I leave it to the owners and the owners really drive that. Right. Yep. I mean, they have to run the concerts to pay Patrick Mahomes half a billion dollars. Yeah. They have to, they have to utilize these venues for what they are. For sure. Venues are economic drivers. Um, and I'll, I'll give, uh, <clears throat> I give John Turnour a lot of credit. He and I were in the dugout at the all-star game. And, and I always wondered why in the world would somebody spend 600 to a billion dollars on the stadium. But you look in Washington, they spent whatever they spent on that stadium. I was standing in the dugout looking at tower cranes and all these high rise buildings being built around the ballpark. They're economic drivers. 100%. They are economic drivers. So a small input 
doesn't seem small when you talk about that number. Mm. A small input makes a huge economic driver. And so I feel like synthetic is sold as the only option for that economic driver to be viable. You know, you want those venues operating as many days a year as you can. So people are in that area. And I think we have to position ourselves with, through a marketing effort to say synthetic's not the only option. Why can't we put, why can't we go in and put porous asphalt in every one of these venues, roll out grass on top of it for game day, mm-hmm. take it up in 24 hours. And then you've got a concert venue and you're sitting yeah. on top of asphalt that drains. Yeah. I mean, you have, I mean, Las Vegas and Arizona have it set, you know, it's, it's like it. And here's my big thing. A lot of the newer stadiums that are coming out are, like you said, are huge economic drivers. Like the whole fight with Chicago and soldier field has been like, we want to keep it in the city. Cause obviously like we want to have the economic benefit of having games every Sunday or events to concerts, but they're like, well, we need parking and there's no parking downtown cause it's landlocked. So why are we even thinking about this? Like uh, Tennessee, the, the Nashville stadium. I mean, when you look at it, the, the stadium they have right now is only like 10, 15 years old. And now they're like, Hey, we're going to partner with the state of Tennessee and just put a brand new state of the art, like, concert venue and that's really what it is is like when you talk about nashville the culture of nashville is country music and every country artist owns a bar on the road right next to the stadium so what's going to happen they're going to have huge concerts there but my thing about it is like you're like you're saying like when you look at john and what he's doing right now he's trying to figure out what grass is going to be going in at mercedes-benz stadium you know what all these indoor facilities that were never meant to grow grass in, how are we going to be able to do that? So I, I don't quite comprehend why we don't look at again, uh, a Las Vegas as sort of the staple. I mean, when you look at it, they can host any event at any given time and there's no issues, you know? Um, but you know, I'm not any expert or anything. So, <laughs> no, um, but what, and it doesn't take an expert to, to think outside the box. And, and yeah. I think that's what we have to do. We have to be adaptive to the technical solution, right? Come up with that around the corner thinking that, you know, we've been in the box so long, maybe it's not us. Maybe it's your students to figure out that solution Yeah, because they look at things totally different than we do. Um, we've been in the industry for a while. We see it our way. We have our biases, but they don't. And that's where we have to engage people all throughout our industry and look at everyone's input as, as special and, and viable to what we're trying to do because no one person is going to deliver the solution. It's going to take a group of people to do that. And then we have to market that solution to make sure that people understand that solution came from the experts and that's what we do. 100%. And the, the thing that's uh, so <clears throat> unique about our industry when it comes to the solution is there are so many different opportunities to come up with that solution you know there are different climates you have different issues when it comes to your facility where you're at the landlock you were talking about earlier different things that you have to make the solution for one uh i don't know if uh paul burgess you know paul with uh I do. Well, he's not with rail anymore but he uh we had him on and he talked about his design for that stadium that they're building i don't know if you've seen it have you seen it before i have not so his design, and he's no longer there, but the design that he came up with is they're on trays. And obviously Tottenham, they slide in underneath the stadium. These trays actually go down into the ground. 
So you have seven tiers of panels that the whole thing is a controlled like greenhouse in the ground that they can walk in. They can bring an aerator down to aerate. They can mow it. They've got synthetic light so that they can grow during those events underneath the ground where they're having the event. So it's insane, like the the creativity behind it. And like what I find very interesting and I'm intrigued to sort of know the answer to it is where is the disconnect that I mean, when you look at the Premier League and the Champions League and all the 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 football, soccer, whatever you want to call it in England uh, and in Europe, not a single field is allowed to be synthetic turf because owners, players, everyone over there has decided, hey, we can see the danger in playing on the surfaces. And that's why everything here for FIFA has to be natural grass because FIFA has set that standard where you're not allowed to be playing on anything but natural grass. My question again, and it's you're not gonna have the answer for it, but like I'm curious to know, like, where is the disconnect from the US and the UK on sort of setting those standards and being able to talk to people like John Ludwig and uh obviously Burgess and all those guys is just it's just normal over there. Why I'm I'm curious again, where did the normality sort of shift here, you know? Um but again, I no one really knows the answer. But well, I think it goes a lot to the the difference in, you know, they've been doing that forever, mm-hmm. right? I mean, that was the standard before synthetic turf ever came around, and so I think it's it's easier to to maintain a standard that's been there because if you can't show a good business case of why we should switch, then it's one of those. But in the U.S., it's different. We we look at the give it to me now, give it to me now, and. And I think that's why you see the the prevalence of synthetic turf. And then now it's just become an arms race. Your private school has it. I'm going to put it at my private school because we're trying to recruit kids who are going to bring in money to the school. And and that's what it's become. It's not that they need it. It's because it's just, you know, a dad wanted to give a billion bucks to the school and he wants his <laughs> kid to play. And there it is. God, I wish I had a dad who had a million dollars to give me. <laughs> I do too, you know, but it, it, it happens so often. It's it's unbelievable the people I talk to that that actually happens. It's just like, a normal Tuesday. Yeah, yeah. The parents <laughs> just write a check and, and they're done. And because, you know, the school down the road has one, we're going to have one. Yeah. You know, and so it's, it's kind of you know, disheartening in one sense. But, you know, if you look at Europe now, um, they're really pushing the forever chemicals in synthetic mm-hmm. and showing how they're, they're unable to, build them without them and in a lot of european uh, areas are starting to ban those i think the city of boston has said no more synthetic in their uh areas and and, you know once it starts in europe from the environmental perspective it tends to work its way here through the east coast of california and then it kind of to the middle of the country but the the key takeaway for me from the synthetic argument is we've got to make whatever we're given safe Hundred percent, and we have to build our industry to where we do have a seat at the table in those conversations. And we're not necessarily going to be the decision maker, but if yeah, we can have 100%. a voice, if we can have a voice in the conversation, and then work our tails off to make sure that that field's safe, whatever it is, then as a as an industry, we're doing the right thing. One hundred percent, couldn't agree with you more. I also the environmental aspect is something that people just don't even remember. So you bringing it up, I was, I was like, you're right, I forgot. <laughs> there is, I mean, I think it costs almost as much to to recycle it as it is to almost install it. Honestly, I forget what I was talking to, but it was like you had to ship it to the Netherlands to get it recycled, and it was like 
$600,000 just to ship it. <laughs> the full field. I forget who I was talking to, but yeah. But then uh, look at the environmental impacts of that. How much diesel fuel do you have to burn exactly. to get it to there to send it over? And I want a just... carbon footprint of an artificial turf field, people, because you're going to be appalled when it's done. <laughs> yeah, well, and that's where the natural grass is a carbon sink, right? Yeah. I mean, it, you look at what natural grass does for for carbon and, and what we do. Yes, we burn carbon, but when it with diesel fuel, I get it, and gas, but you know, we're into more electric mowers now. We're getting into where Crazy. we're becoming a lot more environmental friendly, right? We are environmentalists as sports field managers. We are, the environment. We're also event managers. The sports piece of it in the industry has almost become secondary to what we're doing from an event perspective. You know, I, I use John because he's a really good friend of mine. He had five concerts this year. God bless him. He had five concerts on bluegrass in the middle of Washington, D.C. And, and it's his not cool team, ever during the summer, ever. He and his team knocked it out and they provided a safe surface for their entire season. So it's, um, it's important, I think, to not be that no, no, no group that we used to be and to be open to doing five concerts and doing it well because that's one way you earn your seat at the table. Absolutely. I couldn't agree with you more on that. And I think it's been showing, I mean... Uh, I mean, Danny Lazito down in North Carolina, I mean, he somehow convinced, still don't know how he did it, but he convinced a owner like, hey, I need to have an NFL field painted on the field while there's a MLS game. Like, I just assumed that was a big no-no for anyone. Like, I, it's crazy that we're making strides like that in the industry. So that's, again, I couldn't agree with you more on that. So let's, let's shift. Sorry to go down the turf rabbit hole. You know. It's okay. I could do that all day long. I know. I know. We gotta, we gotta have like a big forum one time for the show and just everybody just go after it. <laughs> um, obviously you do a lot of work in Cary and, uh, with the new job, it sounds like you're doing a lot more event management and, just overall facilities, trying to keep it together. Could you sort of talk about your job and what it, it sort of entails? Uh, I mean, USA Baseball, you're talking about MLS, you got uh, ACC championships and the list goes on, like you were saying earlier, but what has it been like for you sort of creating that space and taking on this new role that you have? Well, I'll, I've been in the new role for about four months and it's totally different than what it was before. So from a turf perspective, I'm almost completely removed from that. Mm -hmm. Um, but what I can say is that we are an extremely fortunate or I'm, I've been in an extremely fortunate situation. That'll be 17 years for me in April. And the amount of support that I've gotten from our leadership, from our citizens, for what we're trying to do in the, the turf perspective and the facility perspective has been second to none. Uh, um, they bought into our program. We have seven certified sports field managers on our staff right now. We have multiple, multiple team members who have been here for a long time who are driving the boat on sports field. And you mentioned Jake, and he's one of those folks who's highly engaged in the North Carolina chapter and hopefully in the national at some point. And it's, it's just really awesome to be in a situation where the leadership appreciates the professionalism that, that our team brings. And so that's allowed us to build our team to, to a new height, right? We, when I got here, uh, USA Baseball is under construction. It's four sand-based natural grass uh, baseball fields. Unfortunately, I think we're getting ready to lose one of those uh, to synthetic. And it's not because of wear or use or money. Um, these national teams, when they come in to train at our complex, that's what they're playing on when they go across the world. 
So they want to get that feel of, okay, if we're going to be playing on this, let's go take ground balls on this. So, so I, I understand that. And it, it's part of a training site. That's what you want. You want multiple surfaces that people can, can practice on. Uh, we also have weight med soccer park across town, which is eight natural. Well, it is eight fields, seven natural grass, three sand based FIFA quality. Uh, we actually hosted the U S men's world cup team twice uh, in my time here for their training prior to the World Cup. So that's been something special that we have. We host uh, this year, we're doing the first ever back-to-back NCAA Men's and Women's Soccer Championship. Uh, so we'll have that in December. And then we will have uh, you know multiple championships from here on out. So we're very fortunate to be in, a, in an area where sports is huge. Uh, they support us tremendously. And uh, it's just something that I have been blessed with to have a team that is second to none, in my opinion. And I appreciate you saying that earlier in the conversation, because I totally agree. I feel like our team's second to none. Um, and with that, I will put out a plug for anybody who wants to come work in the town of Cary. Give us a call. <laughs> because, uh, we 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 uh, we enjoy our our people. We invest in our people. And I think it shows with how long people stay. Absolutely. Couldn't agree with you more on that. Um, something that you, I'm sort of taking out of what you said, that community aspect. Could you sort of speak to more about that? And obviously, uh, I mean, I personally have a good connection to my community. Obviously it's a school setting. It's a little different than a, a again, a sort of a, uh, obviously carry, but what has it been like sort of developing that community behind everything that you're doing? Cause it's, I think it might be one of the most underlying, uh, sort of, jobs in a sense or talents as a sort certified sport or not certified just a sports field manager in general is making that connection so that the support is there when you need it but at the same time like you're meeting new people you're showing them who we are as again as fma and all these different things what has it been like creating that community behind again an incredible facility an incredible team it takes a long time to build that, right? Because it's it is relation it's relational. I'll say I don't know if that's a word or not, but if it didn't, I just it is it now. <laughs> uh, but it's relationship building one hundred and one in the sports field industry. And I I, I will say I was one of the worst, um, and I've learned a lot from it. The sports field industry, we never want to raise our hands and say, "Look what we did! Doesn't that look good?" Or "Look how that's safe!" Or "Let's get a group of people together." of citizens and talk about what we do and show our equipment and teach people what we do. That's something that we did slowly over time in Cary is we were able to, and I'll say the reason I was here in 2005, NCAA soccer championships, the, the field is a sand based field failed on national TV. And it's something that is not something that we wanted to be proud of. So 2006, I got here started working and correcting those issues on that field. And then we were able to expand that out. But what we tried to do along the way was tell our story. And I used to think that, Hey, I'm the groundskeeper sports field manager. If I just keep my head down and nobody sees who I am, then I'm doing a good job. And I think a lot of our industry feels that way. But the thing that we've got to understand is what we do is really neat. It's different. It's a niche market and it's something that people can get behind and love. A lot of people in this area have grass in their front yards and they take a lot of pride in their yards and they go, how do I get my yard to look like that? And I probably have answered more citizen calls about how do I get my yard to look like that sports field 
And for the longest time, not in carry, but prior to, that would just be one of those things like, oh my gosh, I got to tell you how to do your yard. But here we utilize that as a tool to create relationships with our citizens. And, you know, we still have some that call us every year. Hey, what do you think about the weather? Is it time for me to see my fescue now? And I'm like, yes, go or not go. And, but we have that, you know, conversation. And those people are your advocates. Yeah. 100%. Because what, what, you don't, what you don't see is the groundwork that they're doing to their friends. They're saying, hey, I was able to call the town and I talked to the person who does USA Baseball and he's helping me with my yard. And then that, you know, it, it, it builds on itself and it takes time to do that. But I think that's something as an industry that we can continue to do is that outreach. And it goes back to the word marketing for me. We can market all we want, but if we don't follow up with it as professionals, then all we're doing is spending money telling people about ourselves and not actually living it. So if you're going to tell people you're the best, be the best, live it and, and, and push. And it's what I see out of your students. And that's what was so cool for me and in the student challenges, they were in there to win that thing. And, <laughs> and, and you know what? They did pretty darn good. I mean, I, they impressed me, honestly. And again, so, like, yeah, re- revitalize it. Right. But take that, share that knowledge, because if you share it with your friends, it's like my wife, she gets tired of hearing me talk about it when all my buddies get together. <laughs> but if, if you share it with your friends, they're going to share it with their friends. Hey, I know such and such that worked at the Washington Nationals or at USA Baseball or, yeah. you know, with Travis over in Kansas City. That gets around and building that, building that cohort around you and, and letting people understand what the profession is. That's the guerrilla marketing tactics that has to happen. Yeah. And that's honestly, like, my thing is like, even if you like let them know about it, people are going to start questioning things and be like, well, look it up and be like, well, you're now you have people searching it. Now people are questioning like, well, what about this? Some kids, I mean, Dakota's thinking about joining the industry, like things like that, that are like just a, like a five second thing that you can do. So uh, like SFMA this year, me and uh, Leah Withrow are talking about this. Honestly, we're doing a branding talk about your personal brand as a sports field manager and how the little things that you can do, whether that's, and she's doing the TikTok part, but like little posts, like, Hey, this is what I'm up to. Like, what about reaching out to local schools, things like that, where two second things can turn into a sort of, I mean, a, a monumental shift in our industry. You know, it might bring the next George Toma in. you know, things like that, who, transform moving forward and that's what you said earlier maybe one of my kids figures out the solution to the thing like it, it's things like that that we don't really think about as something that is an annoyance and maybe in some people's eyes like i don't want to talk, talk about stuff i don't want to do posts i don't want to do this like but it's little things like that that i think that can i mean shift the world i mean that's that's the biggest thing and that's why i became a teacher honestly is just being able to show the kids what we do um is what I'm passionate about and then seeing them getting that passion and then showing other kids like this, this, and this. And again, 90% of my kids don't go into the industry. So it's like, they're not going to be in it, but they're going to know that they took this class with Mr. Miller, the annoying guy who used to work in the pros and used to work in the other, whatever, you know, but they'll talk about it forever. You know, um, what do you think is the next step for marketing wise? Cause I know you brought it up a few times throughout the whole podcast is what's the next step marketing for whether it's the association or just in general sort of bring this sports field manager to light. Cause we're going to be talking about that in the presentation, but I'm curious just your 
idea of what that next guerrilla marketing is? Well, first off, I mean, it's got to be positive. We always have to be positive. If, if we go in, you know, negativity convalesces around itself is what I tell people. Mm-hmm. If you put one negative thing out there, it's going to travel farther than 10 positive things, most likely. Now, you may have one positive one hit that goes viral, but, but how much do you get out of one? Right. It's, it's a continual effort. Um, you know, Cheerios didn't get to be the brand they are or, <laughs> you know, without constant positive marketing of itself. So, you know, I think that's something that when I talk about marketing, it's constant, it's believing in it and it's living it. And if we're not going to live our brand, if we're not going to live our marketing, then we're just wasting money. And so that's why I think it has to be positive. Right. Uh, I look through, I'm not on any social media. Mm. Uh, that's just, that's just my style. I, I, I hear you. It, it bothers me sometimes, but there's, there's so much negativity on social media that, that just, I, I don't need that. Right. I get enough of that in just daily life. So I try to avoid that, but every now and again, I will browse through. And, and when you see people talking negatively about our industry, it, it hurts because I get it. There's struggles in this industry. There are long hours. There are rain delays. There are rain outs. There are mistakes that we make as professionals that sometimes cost games. It happens. Own it. Be positive about how we're going to change it instead of dwelling in the negative because that negative is going to carry on and that negative may influence someone who might want to be in the industry. And so I think that's key in any marketing is that it's got to be positive and it's got to be something that we own and we live. Love that. Well, that's again, there, like you said, there are so many different things like you don't expect to be negative and you're just like, who are you to say any of this? Like you're not a part of this industry. You don't know anything about it. Chicago, another prime example. I remember this reporter was like going after Chad Price. I was like, do you even know who you're talking to right now? <laughs> like, like when you say Chad Price's name in our industry, you listen and it's like, okay, he knows everything about anything because he's been doing it for so long and he's been, again, successful at all levels. I mean, his work, I mean, obviously the genetics is different, but like Philadelphia, now Chicago have Bermuda grass. No one thought that 10 years ago was even possible, you know? Maybe a little longer than 10. I'm getting a little old. So um <laughs> I gotta I gotta get my time frames back. <laughs> um now, something that I'm always interested to hear a little bit of a shift, sorry, uh, from our guest is sort of your personal journey. You know, what what brought you to uh turf? And obviously you're very passionate about it. And that's I think that's a big thing that the the guerrilla marketing is the, the passion from the industry folks. You know, we have to be able to be passionate enough to share our story and be able to give kids opportunities to learn about it through your eyes and through your experiences. So what has been your personal journey in getting to this point? Wow, that's a that's a good one. So it started for me back in middle school. So I was a baseball player, you know, five seven, five eight, not gonna make it to the big leagues. Loved the game, wanted to stay around it. Uh, worked in the city of Burlington for a rookie league. Uh, at the time it was the Burlington Indians. They were a Cleveland Indians affiliate affiliate. So worked with them for a summer after I spent my first summer working, picking up trash in parks. So uh, littering is not my thing after picking up after people. For a summer. <laughs> um, you damn right. So, so, so the next year, the next year was, uh, was my soft junior year of high school. So I was able to work at the local stadium junior, senior year, uh, which really kind of brought me around. And like I said, I knew I wanted to, I knew I wanted to stay in the game somehow. And I had an opportunity to walk on at NC State that didn't work out uh, for baseball. 
and got to know Clark Cox there uh, through my cousin. I had a cousin who was a football manager at NC State with Clark years before. And so they connected me, worked with Clark for about two days at State before I had an opportunity at the Durham Bulls for an internship. So AAA baseball, I was excited. Here I am, an intern, AAA baseball. Did that for about a year and a half. When my boss left in the middle of the year to go over to uh, UNC Chapel Hill, this was before Casey's there, um, and they came to me and John Turnauer at the same time. John was the assistant and I was an intern. Hey, you guys want to run it for the rest of the year? And much like, you know, minor league baseball, they tried to be as cheap as they could. And uh, fortunately, I think John and I worked really well together. And uh, John moved on to Baltimore and I stayed in Durham. So I had three, three or four semesters left of college at NC State. And I was the full-time head groundskeeper at the Bulls at the same time. So Sorry. that was an that was an interesting time, uh, you know, running <laughs> a 16 awesome. hour, 16 yeah. hour class schedule and then working until midnight and then back in doing it again the next day. Had a lot of great people there <laughs> as assistants. Uh, Scott Strickland, who's still there, yeah, uh, was my assistant one time. And so uh, he has been fantastic in the industry as well. So it uh, did the Bulls for a little while. Um, I knew the carry was building the USA Baseball Complex and I knew I needed more multi-field experience than what I had working at NC State for a few days, you know, Durham Bulls for five years almost. I had one field experience all day long, did not have multi. So Clark Cox was headed down to Columbia, South Carolina. Uh, Coach Tanner was down there. Um, he used to be at NC State for baseball. Uh, Lou Holtz was the head coach at the time when I went down to Columbia to work with Clark to get that experience. And I'll say Clark is probably the best grass guy I know. Uh, at least when it comes to Bermuda grass and, and a football field, he's, he's an amazing person to learn from. Learned a lot there uh, with all intentions of coming back to USA baseball and got a phone call one day that said, Hey, uh, our soccer field just blew up on national TV. What do you think about coming to carry? And I'm like, perfect. That's where I wanted to end up. So fate, fate kind of lined it, lined it up for me. Mm -hmm. And uh, I've been fortunate to work with a great group of folks here in carry ever since they supported my passions, dreams, and goals. Uh, I was part of the uh, creation of the North Carolina chapter of the STMA. Uh, I was fortunate Driving, enough. By the way, they're doing very well. Yes. Uh, the conference down in Myrtle Beach is is spectacular and something that I was very glad to play a small role in. Very excited! I'm actually talking this year there. Awesome. Well, it's our it's our biggest crowd yet. So oh, I think we've got 230, 240 <laughs> registrants. Oh, great. So I'm on a panel, thank goodness. But like, <laughs> uh, well, you, I'm excited. Sorry. You'll enjoy that time because that conference has been something that has been special for us as an association just because we were able to meet and see old friends and share war stories. And that's where you learn the most, right? You learn the most, not necessarily in a session, but talking to other people. And that goes back to the industry sharing that we hit on earlier. Um, so was fortunate to do that, was able to work my way, thanks to Bobby Campbell, into uh, the national uh, STMAs, now SFMA. Mm -hmm. And um, I felt like I had a really good opportunity with that group to, to do some things that I came in to do. I wanted to see change in the association, the national association. Uh, I was dead serious when I stood on the stage in West Palm Beach talking about relevance, because if we don't fight for relevance, we're not going to be relevant. If people don't see us as necessary, then we're going to continue to to dwell where we are currently. You know, it's uh, it's a, we're in a current state. We have a current desired state that we want to head to, and then we have a future state that we need to be thinking about. Uh, SFMA, in my opinion, is uh, I was fortunate to serve on the CEO search committee after Kim left for many years of great service. 
Um, so there should be some great news coming out about that here in the near future. So the future's bright for the association. And that's kind of where I'll, I'll end my, my run because I just got off as past president last year. Um, and uh, now I've, I've worked my way into the assistant public works director position, which I'm learning about all kinds of things <laughs> from, the, from, from the 308 people that is in our public works department here in Cary. And they, much like our turf program, are second to none. So it's, it's, I've been fortunate my whole career. Was there any specific event or conversation that like caused a spark and you were like, I can see myself doing this like in the future and like going into the turf industry? Sure. Thank you. That's a great question. Uh, it goes back to the middle school piece where I started. My, my stepdad was our middle school baseball coach and he always took care of the field. And so when I moved into high school and played baseball, I uh, played high school baseball, played Legion baseball. And every time I seem to find myself working on the field after games, <laughs> you know, I'll be fixing the mound, I'll be doing this. And, you know, I was an infielder. So I understood the importance of the infield grass and the infield skinned areas. And I took time to learn a lot about it then. And then when I got into that first run of, of minor league baseball and rookie league ball there in Burlington, it just kept building on itself. And, and the love of the game of baseball is really what kept me here. So that spark was him doing that and introducing it to me. And the passion just grew from there. And I, and I still have the same passion today, if not more than I did the day that, that I got in this. And, and my passion now is more seeing others do it and seeing the students, like I said at the beginning of this, Seeing the students last year at the show gave me so much energy and hope for the future of the industry that it, it keeps me going. Uh, so with that, obviously, there's people that have influenced sort of your journey and everything. Um, you talked about Clark Cox being the best turf guy. Yeah, you know, uh, obviously, John seems to be a very close friend in the industry. Uh, what have been some of those mentors that have had an influence on your career to get to this point where, again, you're you're now moving on to bigger and better things, even just in carry, um, who had that impact in preparing you for where you're at now? Gosh, there's so many people that, that you know, you, you ha I hate these questions because you always leave people out. Right. Yeah. <laughs> but but I'll, I'll go I'll go with uh, I'll go with three. And, and it's all family because family is always there to support you. Um, sometimes we make good decisions as, as, uh, kids and sometimes we don't, um, but parents are there to support you. Uh, so my mom made a huge difference. She was a single mom, uh, for a long time and, and worked her tail off to make sure that I had what I needed. Um, my dad, I lost him when I was 15 years old. So I had to grow up really quick. Um, even though my mom was a single mom, dad was always there too. And if she said that I needed to have a, a spanking, I got a spanking, whether <laughs> it, whether I thought I needed it or not, yeah. my, dad, my dad did it. So whenever it came to me, they agreed, um, which was really nice to have. Right. Uh, and then my stepdad played a huge role as well. Like I said, he got me kind of kicked off in this world. And, um, you know, so when you, when you find your passion and you can work in your passion, you're never going to work a day in your life. That, that statement is, um, that's true. Truly incredible. Um, and with everything, do you have any sort of aspirations, obviously, and carry with this new role, you're learning a lot. Uh, where do you see it sort of going in the next few years, making it your own? I'm sure you're now overseeing, I don't know, like 50 other things that you didn't oversee in the turf side of things. Uh, but obviously you're adding events, you're having major events. Uh, you have, again, 
I'm sure every USA team from like 13U up to 18 and professional. 10U up to professional. There you go. Sorry. (laughs) We get them all. You know how young they start them now. Yeah, let's not get started on travel baseball. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. Look, I've got two boys. I've got a 13 and an eight. And then I've got a little baby girl who's 18 months. And I know way too much about travel baseball that I don't (laughs) know. I just want to know where all the money goes, honestly. In the Um, pocket. <laughs> um what what do you see sort of in the future in carry and i'm sure you guys are expanding and probably have big projects coming up anything that you like would like to share about sort of the future there gosh carry is growing thriving um i don't know if, if you did a, it, it just came out recently carry is one of the top three uh, places to work in local government in the country um we had a new town manager come in about six years ago and he brought a, a breath of fresh air. Uh, Carrie, we, were, we want to be the best. Mm-hmm. We strive to be the best. Um, we push every day to be the best for our citizens. Uh, that's who we serve. That's who we work for. And he brought a new uh, breath of fresh air of, of, of change. Uh, there's technical change and adaptive change. And that's kind of where it, it's been neat for me to be able to see a different vision kind of grab a hold of that vision, live it, love it, and, and try to try to breathe that vision, right, and, and share that with others. So what I'm trying to do is support our team, and that's what I see my role as, uh, as the Assistant Public Works Director, is to support the 308 people that work with us that are highly trained, highly qualified, best professionals in the business. So I get the opportunity, and I think it's a blessing for me personally to get to work with those folks every day. Um, that's fate to me aligning again to to kind of help me out because there's no way that I could do this job without the work that each one of those individuals does. And and I just ride their coattails. So completely mm-hmm. fortunate to to be able to learn from them and, and grow myself. Where does it go? Who knows? Right. <laughs> who knows where yeah. it goes? And at this point I'm just riding the wave and, and like I said, just trying to support people the best that I can. Absolutely. And so we talked about your crew. And obviously I know a few of them uh, personally, but what has it been like for you sort of cultivating that crew? Obviously there are so many different aspects and now you're, you're adding probably like 10 more crews to your crew, but um, what is it that you are concerned about when it comes to day-to-day ensuring what's best for your, your workers and for the people that you are working with every day? You know, there are so many different aspects that most people don't even look at. And as a leader, there are so many ways that you can lead. What is sort of your leadership style when it comes to, again, managing God knows how many acres and how many facilities and how many uh, groups when it comes to maintaining, again, the town of Cary, something so much bigger than USA baseball and the championships and the soccer mm-hmm. and all the different things. What has it been like for you sort of developing that leadership style and what would be your leadership style? So from a leadership style perspective is I like to give the work back. And it's not from a delegation standpoint. It's not from, uh, I don't want to do this. It's more, I want your information. I want your input. You're a professional. I'm going to support you in your decision, right? And, and I like to allow folks to make those decisions and to do it their way. You know, there's 10,000 ways to get a baseball skinned infield ready to play. And my way works for me. You know, Jake's way may work for Jake. Zach's way is going to work for Zach. It took me a long time to come around to that understanding that, hey, it can be done a different way and still get to the same result. Um, 
that, so that's kind of my leadership style is to try to, to, to stay back, let people make those decisions. The one thing I tell our folks is, you know, if you come to me with a problem, you know, I'm a solutions person. I'm probably going to give you a solution that you may or may not like. If you come to me with your solution, just to say, hey, here's what I'm thinking for this problem, then we're going to be in a much better place. We're probably going to go with their solution. Yeah. Um, or we'll talk through it and there may be some little tweak that that we look at from a different perspective. But I like people to think through their problems before they just bring them. Um, and, and, I, and I think they do that nine times out of 10, they don't even have to bring the problem because they, they know the solution in their heart and it's easy to just go with it. And hopefully they feel empowered to lead where they are and make their own decisions and and own those decisions, right? It's uh, there's, there's two words. There's really three words for me in this new organization. You know, we look at disequilibrium from the standpoint of if you're always comfortable, you're always going to probably do the same things that make you comfortable. You're never going to get out of that comfort zone. We look at responsibility and we look at accountability, right? We're going to give you the responsibility. We hope that you take it and do it. And then you're going to be accountable for those actions. And what we've seen is that that the more and more that we're able to give that back to people, the more and more they grow, they change and they prosper, which has been awesome to watch and be a part of. Um, the one thing that keeps me up at night, and I think you kind of let off with this, is what, what do I see as a major issue that really concerns me? The lack of technical people coming into all fields, right? I mean, in, the, in what I'm doing now is I'm fortunate to work with our solid waste division, our fleet division, our... Uh, our operations division, which does water and sewer repairs and street repairs, and then our facilities division, that's where I came from you know, originally. And the lack of technical people coming into all of those industries is, is, is a huge concern of how do we do that? How do we get that technical piece back? Because, you know, we're all aging, right? You know, you've mentioned it a couple of times, Drew, we're, we're getting older, we're not getting any younger. So how, how do we replenish what's there? Or how do we work without it? Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more on that. And that's, I think that's probably the the biggest concern on most things is like, where is that next generation coming from? And uh, I know, I mean, their generation gets such a bad rep of they don't want to work, they don't want to do this. They were they're the TikTok generation; they can make money off of nothing. Like it's, it's just not true. You know, it's it's us putting forth the effort to find those kids that are going to change the game and change the future, you know, because there are so many that want to, you know, uh, it's just, it might be a lack of on our front or a lack on other fronts. I, again, I think the biggest I've talked to, I think Dr. Sorokin is a big proponent of like the future on this is we have such an untapped market of kids, uh, youth that, don't know who we are, but they like you and like me want to stay in the game. High school athletes, if we even give them an inclination of, Hey, why don't you try sports field management? You love your sport. You're not ready to give it up. Here's the way you can stay in it forever. You know, it is little things like that where like you're saying marketing wise, like I don't, I don't know how the SFMA does it, but I feel like there are little things that we could do, like putting signs in minor league ballparks on wall pads, talking to owners of MLB and NFL teams, say, hey, we need a two-minute promo. It would be great if it was free of charge, but if there's any way we could do it for a very inexpensive cost, we'll give you the file, put it up before a game. I mean, half of when I worked in New York and Pittsburgh, half of the stuff that was played on the, the Jumbotron before the game were music videos. Like It wasn't like 
two minutes, like say the ground screw comes out and it's just an SFMA video talking about your everyday groundskeeper from the professional level down to the parks and rec, you know, like having little league, like little things like that, that I think we can do as an industry could change sort of, Oh, these are actual people. These are people that do an incredible job at every level. When you talk about T-ball and you talk about all your little league memories, like those are because of the people that manage the fields because even fields that are not in the best shape and don't have the best budget and everything. When you're talking about little league fields are still managed. Like Mm -hmm. it's not a jungle. It's not like in terrible shape to the point where like, it's scary for your kids to be out there. Like there is just so much lack of awareness that I think little things like that we could do as an industry. I don't know how to get it in front of people. I don't know how to do it actually the right way, but if we could find people that know that would be great, but that's my two cents. Well, it's funny that you bring that up because I think you're dead on what we need to do. The athletic angle is something that we've been looking at at SFMA for a while. I'll give Jeff Salmon a lot of credit. When he was president, he brought this up years and years ago before we were anywhere close to the dire need we are now. And and he started fighting for that. And uh, Kristen Althaus, our uh, education uh, extraordinaire with, mm-hmm. with the association, has built a high school curriculum for sports field management. Mm-hmm. And so the, the key piece is, and to me, I think, and in my personal opinion, and I like to put that out there, is this is my personal opinion, that SFMA needs to build an education program internally and, and let kids come in. I mean, we ought to be able to get kids in and out of an education program for under $500 that gets them in the industry without ever having to step foot on a college campus. And if they want to go to college, then that's the precursor, right? We're sending yeah. kids, we're sending kids to community colleges now to get into NC State yep. because they can't. If you have a three five, if you have a three five GPA, you can't, can't even get, get in, in either. Too, yeah. You know, 100%. if I went to NC State right now, I couldn't get in. Yeah, I did okay, and and that's so frustrating to me is that, you know, the industry is not rocket science. Nope. But yet we're compared against rocket scientists to get into school, and it just doesn't make sense to me. So if 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 the SFMA built a multi-tiered educational program that we could target that high school, um, FFA programs, athletic programs. Uh, I, I just think there's a huge, a huge untapped potential there yeah. that, that we can build modules, right. And you can select how far you want to go as the student, right. Yeah, what, is, what do we all want to do now? We want to chart our own course. We don't want someone to chart our course for us. And, and so if we have this plethora of educational options and modules that we can choose from to grow our education to whatever point we wanted to, then, then why wouldn't we do it that way? And, and that's the avenue to the colleges, right? So we're building, we're the community college building to send students to, to the big schools. And And I think we can feed a lot. No, you're good. Go ahead. I think what you're saying is perfect in the sense of like, if we can get those universities on board, like if you graduate with a certified sports field manager degree or whatever they want to call it, you know, if you graduate with that, that should get you the similar identification as like getting a three out of community college that mm-hmm. gets you into those schools, you know, cause it's such a specialized thing and it's an industry organization. Like that would be a game changer. You know, um, I was talking to, uh, who was it? 
Dr. Gilly, we were at tech on Friday. So like, it's so hard to get kids in the four-year program because it's just, you have to have a 4-0 to get into school. So like my other thing is like figuring out how to get the two-year programs to be a stepping stone for those kids that want to go to school and want to be in college. Like it's so difficult for kids. I have a student, she's just moved on to the four-year program. It's there's like 17 other things they have to do in order to move on, you know, instead of just having like, Hey, this is going to connect to this. If you have a three, five, you know, or a three, like whatever it is in the classes. So the, that's sort of been a big thing right now that I think a lot of schools need to start looking at because the two-year program requires very low GPA, like a two, five or something. So like it makes sense. But uh, the other thing that I've talked with Kristen a lot about is just creating a high school sort of, blueprint you know and i've i've helped a lot of schools start programs like mine around the country you know like i just talked to kevin mccaffrey uh, out at uh costa del mar they started it two years ago uh, i talked to their admin and him and just what the process was to get it started and it it's i mean it's flourishing he's doing great he's got he went from like 10 to like 50 students year one to two and it's just those little things. I mean, I, he has, I know he's an artificial football field, but baseball, softball, all the other spaces, like he can take that time and whatnot and be able to show the kids the opportunity. Uh, he was talking, he's trying to go to the SFMA conference is like getting more programs and then bringing them into the fold of SFMA is going to change the outlook of making more programs like that. So um, yeah. It, so we, it will, it will. Yeah. And our, and our new CEO that's coming in, um is it official yet don't announce uh, obviously i I, I can't i can't confirm nor deny but (laughs) our new ceo that's coming in is very big on chapters chapter relations education and all this information so hopefully that will continue to to propel us forward right because if we're going to be the leaders in the industry you got to lead in all fronts 100 percent. you can't just lead in white papers that talk about (laughs) natural grass yeah you can't just lead in synthetic turf maintenance you have to lead in all facets. Yes. And and I think, I mean, you can call me crazy, but I think the college model as we see it today is going to be gone in 20 to 25 years. Um, I just yeah. don't think it's, it's not a sustainable model because yeah. eventually taxpayers are going to get tired of, of subsidizing. Students yeah. are going to get tired of paying that kind of money. And, you know, your lawyers and your doctors, they're still going to have an avenue. But, you know, <laughs> I just don't I just don't see it for the regular everyday student as a as a viable model. 20, 25 years from now. So I mean, what is it, that man. model? Let's yeah. build it ourselves. Let's be the model. And that yeah. was kind of my piece of the race for relevance when I was talking about it in, in West Palm Beach is we have to be those leaders. We have to be that group. If we're going to jump out there, let's go. Let's lead. And, yeah. and you can't lead by waiting. Yeah, you got to change the game. That's, that's the big thing. Um, so we wrap up on these last two questions. Uh, okay. And this, this one is... It's not to make things easier in your sort of journey and anything like that. It's more about uh, what you wanted to know. So if there was one thing that you wish you knew before you started in this industry, what would that one thing be and why? So that one thing would be uh, that you have to be more open and communicative to people. Um, You can't just hide and say, oh, if they don't see me on the field, that's a good thing. Share your stories, share your your, your positives, you know, push everything you can and make sure that, that your message is getting out.
Sorry. No, you're good. You're good. <laughs> um, so our final question is if you could give any piece of advice to a high school student like me or any of the other students in our program that want to go into the industry in the future, what would that piece of advice be? Get an internship as soon as you can. Get out and see different places, different people, learn from others, and don't be afraid to lead where you are. You're very knowledgeable. You have your own um, experiences that you bring to the table. And when you do get your internship, don't be afraid to step out and ask the hard questions. Why are we doing it this way? If we did it this way, it might be easier. It might be better. You know, don't don't hold those things in because, number one, it's going to frustrate you. And number two, it might be a better way. Well, I just want to thank you so much. This has been incredible. Uh, and we really appreciate you taking the time. And again, thank you so much for having such an impact on those kids last year down at the conference. You guys made it. I mean, a time of their lives. So I really can't thank you enough. Well, hopefully we're going to get to do that again this year. I'm, I am coming to Salt Lake, so we'll see how that goes. But I do uh, not have kids coming to Salt Lake. <laughs> no, not me. Yeah, it's, a, it's a flights and stuff, and I don't like flights. Oh, well. Kids, but maybe Daytona. East Coast is more of our thing where we can drive, and I have control over that. <laughs> oh, that is so disappointing because that oh, was I'm the sorry. one thing I was looking forward to other than skiing. Uh, <laughs> somebody's trying to get me to ski i'm like i'm not going out there and breaking my leg on the other side of the country <laughs> so, so what kind of what kind of drive is that for you to to provost to yeah. salt lake yeah like three days what are we talking about I'm, you know. hold on let me look it up <laughs> <laughs> oh gosh this is commitment to the industry here right i think i've been pretty committed to <laughs> I mean, if I haven't, sorry, but uh, hold on. Let me. You have been tremendously committed to the industry and, and your students. I'm telling you, I, I, I can't thank you enough for bringing them and doing what you do um, to be on the 99th uh, edition of this. This podcast is, is awesome. Uh, uh, I can't yeah. wait to see who you have for 100. Yeah, well, <laughs> we've actually recorded 100. We did it last night, and uh, it, the guest is not the best. I'll tell you that. <laughs> wow. I okay. hope they don't hear this one. The guest is me. They, the kids oh, set up the whole that's thing. That's what I was thinking. The kids set up the whole thing. I thought they were like bringing like these crazy people and whatnot, but they did a phenomenal job. And so, so it's one day and seven hours from here to you. What's wrong with that? I am not driving. I think the kids want to go. I'm just saying. Oh, they definitely do. But again, like <laughs> my thing is like, they better want to join the industry if I'm driving that far. <laughs> uh, but again, I want to thank you so much for taking the time. This has been awesome. I really appreciate it. Yeah. Thank you both. <laughs>